Good morning. Go ahead and stand on up. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back that you can take and keep for your own. And it's on the screen as well. All right. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now went by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. It's good to be here to be able to, like, share some things. I have, um, I'm going to my 20th year of teaching, and I know what happens when there's a sub. I know what happens when there's a sub. So that's why I've asked Mark to sit up front. We'll be taking notes and leaving a note for Jared. So watch your shenanigans. <laughs> In 19, let's see, I'm, 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 we're talking about John the Baptizer today. John the Baptizer sounds like a WWF wrestler. It does. In this corner, weighing in at 112 pounds, wearing a robe of camel hair, John, John, the baptizer. And he comes out, and his finishing move is he dunks them underwater. That's, that's, <laughs> uh, that probably dated me because the WWF hasn't been around for quite a while, I think. Um, but that's what I remember. So in um, 1985, in December, I turned six years old. And Christmas was just a few weeks away, and what I really wanted for Christmas was a red Huffy bike. And I was so sure that Santa was going to bring it. Um, and I was sure I'd walk out on Christmas morning to the living room, and it would be there, and I would get on, and I'd ride off into early morning sunrise for this Huck Finn-like adventure on the streets of Texas. Um, I did get the bike, so don't feel bad. I got the bike. Um, but it, it didn't show up like I expected. Um, 
We were in the living room a few days before, and my sister walked by and said, Santa's not real, your bike's in the garage. And to be fair, because I don't want to pay my sister in a bad light, she was 10 and I was 6, and I'm sure that I had done some antagonistic six-year-old little brother thing, right? I I probably deserved it. Um, But that is what happened. She just stopped, looked at me, and said, Santa's not real, your bike's in the garage, and she walked off. She, like, pulled the pin out of the grenade, walked off like an action movie hero. And I was left there thinking, like, there's no way this is true. And I walked out in the garage, And there was my bike. And my parents should have hit it better, probably. Um, (laughs) But I was excited and also really disappointed. I was excited because I was getting a bike. Um, But I was disappointed at, at how it showed up. And then all these doubts started to creep into my little six-year-old mind. And I started wondering, what else in my little life is not true? And, and that's a little bit of what's happening here with John the baptizer. Um, he's expecting the Messiah to be different, to show up differently than Jesus actually is. And to be fair, John's not just some random complainer. Scripture's really specific about John and the way it commends John, that John has been consistently obedient to God his entire life. From the womb, John has been consistent in how he served the Lord. He's been consistent in the truth that he's preached, in the words that he's spoken, and the deeds that he's done. And he seems really sure about God's plan, about his place in that plan, and very sure that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, he's the first one to call Jesus out. He's down by the river doing his move, dunking people in the river, and Jesus walks by and he stops him and says, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I saw the dove, I heard the voice, and I testify to you that this is God's chosen one. Those are the words out of John's mouth. A little bit of my paraphrase. But most of those were verbatim, maybe. Um... And then we get these words from John in this passage. John's in prison for telling the truth, by the way. And he's hearing, it says he hears reports about what Jesus is doing. And it's not quite matching his expectations. And so he's got some doubt growing. And so he sends his disciples to ask Jesus this question, because obviously he can't. And I would not have wanted to be one of those disciples. Hey, Jesus, um, we got a question for you. Your cousin, John, um, just to be clear, this is John's question. I'm asking for a friend. This is John's question. Um, Are you the one that we've been waiting for, or should we be waiting for somebody else? Like, did we bet on the wrong horse here? John's asking. I'm just asking for John, right? But But that's the question. And it's like, wait a second, John's been so sure about all these things, and then all of a sudden it's like, are you really the one? Because it's not, this isn't jiving. And Jesus' response is really kind and really simple, and he just says, hey, go tell John what you're seeing and hearing for yourselves. Blind people are getting their sight back. Crippled people are walking. Diseased folks are being healed. Deaf people can now hear. 
dead people are now living. And the lowliest people of the earth are finding out that God is on their side. Go tell them that. And Jesus is quoting and referencing some Old Testament prophets that talked about how the Messiah would come. One of those is in Isaiah 35. And in verses, I think it makes reference to the lame walking and the blind seeing. And this is what Jesus references. What he doesn't reference is the verse before, which is verse 4. And it says this in Isaiah 35, 4. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Yeah, that's what John's talking about. That's what John's expecting. That's what he wants the Messiah to do. Come and defeat their oppressors. The Jews have been oppressed for like 600-something years. And so John wants Jesus to come and stick it to the man. And Jesus kind of says, well, I'm not going to do it like that, actually. He kind of jumps ahead in the script. He, jump, he skips a bunch of lines. And rather than judgment first, he brings mercy. And rather than sorrow and tears, he brings healing. Because Jesus is bringing a new kind of kingdom. A kingdom where the blind, the lame, and the sick are healed, even though they may not deserve it. But honestly, I get John's frustration and his discouragement. I mean, don't you? You do, you just don't want to say it? <laughs> no, I know. But haven't you ever been frustrated or just disappointed? You questioned Jesus when he didn't show up like you wanted or asked for. When you prayed for healing for a family member and it didn't come through. When you prayed for a baby and it didn't happen. And when you prayed for like fixed relationships and they never got better. We get it. I get his frustration. You're not showing up like I wanted you to, Jesus. I'm suffering and where, what are you doing? And John's like, I'm in jail, Jesus. And you're out to dinner. Literally. You're out to dinner. And he's not just out to dinner. He's out to dinner with all the wrong people. <laughs> he's out to dinner with prostitutes, with the scum of the earth tax collectors, and, and get this, so the Romans are the current empire, like oppressing the Jews, right? And we hear of at least two different Roman soldiers coming to Jesus and asking for mercy. One asks that he'd heal his servant, and the other asks that he'd heal his son. And Jesus does it. He heals the enemy's kid. Well, that's not vengeance, and that's not retribution. No, it's not. It's mercy. It's mercy. And that's the new kingdom that John has been preparing a way for, that has now come because Jesus is here. Jesus is not what John or lots of others probably expected, he's better actually. He's way better. And so that message to John is mostly references and quotes to this Old Testament prophets. But the last line in that paragraph is an original. It's a Jesus original. And this is what he says to John. He says, hey, John, look at what's happening in front of you. Also, blessed is anyone who does not give up their faith because of me. 
Or, or the version we read today says, blessed is anyone who's not offended on account of me. Don't lose hope because I'm not what you expected, John. Don't let what I'm doing trip you up. You got this, John. You got this. Keep going. And Jesus is so kind, and he encourages John with these words. And then he turns to the crowd that's there that's followed him, and he commends John. In the midst of John's question, I don't know that everybody heard his question. I imagine it was done a little like off to the side, but then he commends John, and he says he's the greatest man born of a woman. That's a high commendation, it feels like. <laughs> Jesus declares his truth over John's life. And he says, in spite of your doubt, John, I want you. No, Jesus, you don't. You don't know the things I'm thinking about right now. You don't know what I've done. And Jesus says, no, I know. And I want you. And he does this with us, too. In our doubt and our screw-ups and our swaying in the wind like a reed, he still speaks a better word over us. And he calls out life in us and he speaks his truth over us and he says, I want you. I want you, Jim. Don't lose your faith over this. You got this. I want you. He extends to us the mercy of his new kingdom. And when you get this from him, it will rearrange you and it will change your life. So I want to take a moment to just encourage us in times of doubt because they will come. They will come and they will come again. <laughs> but Jesus says that we're blessed if we're not offended by him. So how do we handle doubt and not become offended and lose our faith. Let's start with this. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. Doubt is the struggle to believe, and unbelief is the stubborn refusal to believe. Doubt is the struggle to believe. And unbelief is the stubborn refusal to believe. Doubt's the search for truth of, man, something's not adding up, right? Something doesn't quite add up to what I was thinking, hoping, and expecting, but I want the truth. I, help me. And unbelief is just that denial of truth. It's the angsty teenager who puts the AirPods in and cranks up the music and says, I'm not listening. I don't want to hear this. Don't tell me this. La, 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 right? Doubt and unbelief are very different, and they're treated very different by Jesus. Notice this. When John doubts in this passage, Jesus doesn't say, how dare you, John? We're cousins. We've been doing this for decades. Did you, did you miss the dove? Did you miss the voice? Because it was loud and it was pretty cool. Did you miss all this? What are you doing? Nope. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't rebuke him and he doesn't shame him. He does not say, blessed is he who does not doubt. He says, 
Blessed is he who does not get offended by me, who does not walk away from or give up on their faith. Doubt comes. Doubt happens. And you're not weird because you have doubts. But if you just give in to your doubts, you're going to get real weird. You're going to get really weird if you give in to them. And so you need to doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts. Our culture screams at us, doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts. Because that's what you do if you're smart, if you're intelligent. You question everything. And I get there, there's a time and a place for this, right? We do need to question some wrong beliefs that have maybe settled into us. But we also, there's a time to believe our beliefs and to doubt our doubts. Our culture loves branding, right? They love to brand things. We love to buy specific brands. And our culture's sort of branded doubt and skepticism as being sophisticated and for the educated. And they branded faith as being simple. Faith is for the simple. Faith is for the people in the South that drink Mountain Dew in the mornings. Faith, faith is for... Faith is for the tribe in the Amazon that's still wearing loincloths and hunting with blow darts. And they just don't know any better, right? Oh, bless your heart. You have faith because you don't know any better, right? That's why you've got it, right? It's for the really simple. No, I hold on to faith because it makes, makes way more sense. Even with unanswered questions, it makes way more sense. Several years ago, I went with a good friend of mine, Danny Cantelmi, to L.A. We went to this science exhibit, and it was called Body Worlds. And if you know Danny, he, like, geeked out on this. He loves science. And I was excited until we got there, and then I got a little wary of it. And um, if you don't know what it is, they, these people donate their bodies to science. Um, and then they preserve them in a specific way and display them so you can kind of see and explore, like, how the human body works. And it's impressive. It, it is. Once you get over, like, these are real bodies, it's really cool. Um, it took me a minute. But after I did, it was like, I remember the first one I looked at Danny and said, Danny, I don't know if I can do this. It's, and then you get into it. And this one happened to be about, like, the systems of the body, the circulatory system, the nervous system, the digestive system, all of it. So each section looked at that. And so we're looking at, like, all the nerves in a body and how it all works together with the brain. And it's, like, complex and intricate. And then we move on to like the respiratory system and how complex and intricate this system is. And each one on its own is like, this is crazy that this is how this works. And towards the end, I remember stopping and looking at Danny, looking away from this cadaver that was shaped like a swimmer. And um, <laughs> it really was. And um, I looked at him, I said, how can you look at all of these intricate parts in one human body, which is one small aspect of creation, and say, hmm, I think it's an accident. Hmm, he seems like a nice guy. I, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. That makes way less sense than saying, I believe that there's a God that created this. It feels like a really cheap cop-out to say like, hmm, I think it's an accident. 
Even with questions, my faith makes way more sense than doubts and skepticism. The culture says if you're a skeptic, you're smart, and if you have faith, you're simple. But shocker, the Bible says the opposite. In Psalms 19.7, it says, The law of the Lord makes wise the simple. Knowing God makes the simple wise. Don't buy into what you're hearing from our culture. Doubt your doubts. And bring them to Jesus. He will help you sort them out. Move towards Jesus with your doubts. That's what we see John do in this passage. John came to Jesus with doubt. He didn't back away. He didn't fade away. He didn't pull away from God. No, John sends his disciples because he's in jail, right? He can't get out. So he sends his disciples to take his doubts to Jesus and says, hey, things aren't adding up for me, man. I'm not sure about this. I am the one that leapt in the womb at your presence. And I am the one that's been the voice calling in the desert. And I did see the dove and I did hear the voice. But I got some questions about this. Because it's not, it's not what I thought. Help me believe. He went to the Son of God and the Word of God, and he wrestled with his doubt. He didn't go to the health, self-help section. <laughs> he didn't take it to online forums like Twitter. And he didn't just buy into it and think, hmm, I have these doubts. I'm probably right. He didn't do any of those things. No, he went to the Son of God and the Word of God. He took his doubts there and he wrestled with them there. And Jesus' response to John's disciples was, hey, go tell John what you see and hear. What you see and hear. See and hear is one of the most sure ways to build up your faith. That means to expose yourself to the words and the works of Jesus Christ. Expose yourself to the words and the works of Jesus Christ. That's the best place to take your doubts. What often happens is doubt will creep in. It'll find its way in. And the first thing we do is we pull away from God and stop engaging with them. And then we pull away from God's people and we stop engaging with them. And truthfully, after Jesus, one of the next best places to deal with your doubt is the church. You know where's not a good place to deal with your doubt? On your own, by yourself. It's a terrible place to go. It will not go well if you do this on your own. The best place, hear this, the best place to work out your doubt is with Jesus. Number one. Take your doubt to Jesus first and then go to his body, the church, where there are people that he has equipped to help build you up. It's a little hard to go to someone and say, man, I am struggling to believe that God's good in this. That's a little hard. It's a little embarrassing to go to Mark and say, like, I, I'm not sure God is good. It's way harder to sit in prayer and say, God, 
I don't believe you're good. I'm doubting this. But that's what he's asking us to do. He's saying, bring it to me. And that's the example that John sets. Hang out with people who have great faith. Hang out with people that have great faith and are walking closely with Jesus. Have coffee with them. Have lunch with them. Invite them into your home. Heck, invite yourself into their home. Just get in their life. (laughs) But move towards Jesus with your doubt. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He will not pull away from you. God is faithful. He's good. He's asking you to come. He's asking you to bring those doubts. And he'll help you work it out. Even if some go unanswered, he'll help you work it out. Listen, church, our goal in life is not a life without doubt. Our goal in life is not a life without doubt, but a life full of faith. I think that there's lots of us here who are living with questions, and maybe you're afraid to say that it's doubt, and you just call it questions. It's fine. But you're struggling to believe. And I want to remind you of Jesus' words. You will be blessed if you don't lose your faith because of what he's doing and how he's showing up. He fully knows you. He knows your doubts. And he extends mercy to you and says, I want you. Would you stand? I'd like to pray for us. If this is you, and you're like, I do have doubts. There's been some junk in life, and I am struggling to connect these dots to a good God. I get it. John gets it. Jesus gets it. And he says, come to me first. God, you are a good God that is faithful always. You're faithful in how you answer us, and you're faithful even when we don't get answers or when we get answers we don't like. God, I just ask that you would You would be with my friends here, my brothers and sisters here. Those that are really stuck in a place right now that's really struggling with doubt and questions and it's just not making sense and they're suffering and asking, where are you? And God, I just ask that you would show up, you'd draw near, that you'd help each of us wrestle with our doubt in light of who you are, in light of what you've done, we'd sort out our, sort out our doubts with you. Would you come and be near to us, God? Would you come and extend mercy 